You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. And that's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I'm here and uh, I'm, ready to have a, I'm ready to have a big shot from outside 50. Yeah, Isaac Rankin, that was really the the uh, the story of this game at the end. I think that overall, uh, and this was obviously, if anyone did miss it, a draw between Essendon and Gold Coast, Isaac Rankin takes a mark. He's, a, he's around 50 out, maybe a little bit further than 50 out. There's around 46 seconds on the clock when he marks the ball. He basically just turned his back straight away and said, no, I'm going back and having a shot. He wasted basically the full 30 seconds and then didn't even come close to making the distance and the game was a draw. I thought... Afterwards, the reaction uh, was, was a little bit surprising because, I mean, I know that he's only in, what, his fifth or sixth game, whatever it may be, and you don't want to completely blast a, a guy that's that inexperienced. But, yeah, I mean, everyone that's, that's played footy, I mean, if you turn your back and you don't even look for the options, and there were some numbers back there, but he didn't even look, he took it upon himself, you got to at least get it to the goal square and give your team a chance to punch it over the line, don't you? I mean, you can't you can't do what he did and put it about 20 metres out because in the end, it snuffed out their opportunity to uh, get the four points that they desperately needed. Yeah, look, I think the thing there is, you know, we can question the d- decision-making and the execution separately. Um, turning your back on goal is never a good option, but that doesn't mean that if he hadn't have turned his back, he would have found a guy 30 metres out on his own because I don't think that necessarily would have happened. But... You do take that responsibility on. Um, you know, taking the shot from out there, wasting the time down, I think is fine. Because what it also does is, is say you have that shot and Essendon marks it and they get one and quick, a quick handball through the corridor and things open up and they go down and have a shot at goal, then then you're in real trouble. Like if you, if you go back and at 46 seconds, then you kick it in at 40 seconds to get in hurriedly. It's, that could be worse than doing it at you know, 15 seconds like he did. So I don't think we need to completely destroy the decision-making process, but the execution needed to be better. He needed to hit that. Uh, I, I don't know. Would you have wanted him to go quicker with that? Yeah, I would have. Because ultimately, with the position where Gold Coast are in right now, they needed the four points. Because you get the two and it's fine. It's better than nothing. There's no doubt about that. I mean, if there was a complete slingshot and they gave up a point or a, or a goal, then they lose the game. And that sucks. But the position they're in, they need to win. They've been in so many close games and... Uh, you know, a few of them, they just haven't been able to finish off. And that that's fine. I mean, they're a super young team. But now they find themselves uh, two games. Out. Well, they're six points behind the Giants. We expect the Giants will win tonight uh, and go to 28 points. So then they're two games and a fair chunk of percentage behind Collingwood in the eight now. I mean, they just, they just really desperately needed uh, that four points. And I, I just wasn't sure that that was the time to go back. But... Having said that, listening to Stewie Drew and all the players, they said, ah, oh, look, he can, he can make that kick. We, we back him in. And, and that's fine as well. I just think given the situation, they, they just desperately needed the, those four points. Yeah, look, they did need the four points. But I think yeah, he, there's also a, a part of it that getting the two points versus the zero points is, you know, is probably a, a better outcome. It's obviously a better outcome there by not allowing yeah, Essendon to maybe take that. Look, you just need to hit the kick better. It's as simple as that. And then it needs to be, even if it didn't score directly, it needed to be you know, 10 metres closer to goal. 
but that's got nothing to do with the decision-making process of turning your back or or taking the time. It's just that he just had to kick it better. Um, so I don't think I'm all that down on the decision-making and him going back and saying, I'm going to have that shot, especially if he's confident in doing it, his teammates are confident in him, do- him doing it. You just got to hit it better. So I'll... Uh... Uh, you know, takeaways from this game, David Zaharakis, interestingly enough, he, he, you know, early in the season, he was a guy that a lot of people were writing off. He was playing more in the, in the wing, in the midfield. They've sort of set him forward, and he's become a really, really important goal kicker for them. And, geez, he finishes well, whether it's the snap or the set shot. He's a beautiful kick. Uh, you always trust him to kick those goals. Popped a quad late in this one, and, I mean, we know Essendon's injury list at the moment. It's as, it's as serious as anyone's. It's as long as anyone's. In the league, they're missing just a bunch of quality players. Uh, you know, it's certainly possible with the season starting to run out that Zaharakis might not get back before uh, finals or, or for the entire season. They're not sure the extent of the quad injury, but they can be pretty serious. Uh, he was certainly... You could see him mouth straight away. I was, I was kind of confused why the commentary couldn't figure it out. He mouthed it two or three times. I think I popped my quad. Uh, but uh, certainly unfortunate news for Essendon that just cannot afford another key player out. Yeah, and he's uh, he, he kicked the three goals last night because we talked about you know where the goals going to come from, and they came from him, and they came from Stewart down there as well. So he has been that key, not key forward, but you know, key forward in a different sense of the word key, I guess for for this team. And it is it is a real chance that he just doesn't we just don't see him again this season because Essendon's you know, finals hopes, much like Gold Coast, they're they're hanging in the balance here. So talk about James Stewart a little bit because I, I did question, you know, what kind of impact he was going to be able to have. I mentioned McKernan on yesterday's podcast as well, but I thought Stewart was great out of out of full forward. He provided a real target. It was exactly what they needed because I thought in the first half, and I put it in our notes as well as watching this game, Essendon were very non-committal going forward. They were they were messing around with the ball. They weren't sure who they wanted to kick the ball to, who should have the shot on goal, who should uh, execute the extra pass. And they really cost themselves two or three goals in the first half. And Gold Coast, the other way, were just they were they were like, listen, we're getting it in there. We're getting it in there to King. We're going to trust the guys around them, and we're going to kick the goal. But in the second half, I thought they knuckled down a little bit and got the ball to James Stewart. And I, I thought he was a really good target. I thought that he was a, a huge factor in Essendon coming back into this game because overall, their efficiency inside 50 was still only down at 41%. So that's something that they will have to look at, uh, no doubt. Yeah, he's he's only played the three games this year. Stewart and easily the best of uh, of those games. He hadn't kicked any goals so far, and really hadn't. He'd only taken three marks in the combined in the first two games that he played against Brisbane and against GWS. So really, yeah, establishing himself in in this game at least, and yeah, being that target down there. Who is a guy who's been around for a while? Like he's he's 26 years of age. He still hasn't got to 50 games. Um, and this this was a really impressive showing. And we, we talk about the the strength of Gold Coast backline and Sam Collins and how that might have been hard for Essendon to to get past. But you know, Stuart showing that you know taking the five grabs and kicking the three once a pretty impactful uh, offensive performance there from Stuart. And um, it just wasn't quite enough in the end. So the other guy we mentioned on yesterday's podcast, Adam Saad, I, I thought he was he was pretty good. He was himself, 16 disposals, the 300-plus meters gained, a, a pretty typical game for him. But the one, the other guy that provides the attack, and he's, uh, he's far more interesting in terms of you never know what you're going to get. He's unpredictable. He, he, he you know, generally, you know, once a week or once every couple of weeks, he'll give away a goal just by making some sort of crazy decision that most players would not make. But Connor McKenna, the one thing that you cannot say that he, he that you can't say he doesn't do is take the game on. 
And when Essendon desperately needed a goal late in that game, he put on the, the afterburners. He burnt... Uh, I, I can't remember who was chasing him. Uh, it might have been Swallow. Uh, I, I, or it might have even been Anderson, I think, that was chasing McKenna down the wing. But he sort of just looked at him out of the corner of his eye and said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to kick this ball. I'm just going to sprint past you. And he did. And he hit up uh, Zaharakis uh, clean for the lead. He tied the scores. That was the one that he hurt his quad on. But McKenna is, is a bit of an X factor for this team. Uh, and again, Essendon fans, I, I know, I see it on Twitter, I see it on social media, and they get a little bit frustrated. But uh, he, I still think the positive outweighs the negative with him. And he's, like I said, a bit of X factor. He can create something out of nothing. He didn't have much of the ball in this one. Um, no, eight touches, yeah. Eight touches, but three bounces. Like that's, uh, that, that is that attacking mindset. And sometimes yeah, volume, we talk about this a lot as well, volume is not as important as how impactful those touches can be and what you can do when you got the ball. And yeah, that's that example that you highlighted is key there, just being able to just create that space. And then the more you sort of bounce, the more havoc you create up ahead because you just see a guy streaming down and taking those bounces and it draws players out of position sometimes or puts them in no man's land and getting that sort of running impact. And eight eight possessions he had and 271 meters gained. That's a crazy number. So yeah, Yeah. just taking that much territory when you get the ball uh, is huge. And you're right, he was. He was impressive, especially down late. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. I'd I'd have to look this up. Who has uh, the most meters gained per possession? in the league. It would be an interesting stat to look at. Obviously, you'd have to have a minimum disposals there and, and work that out. But uh, yeah, I might. So that might be a little project for me over the weekend, perhaps, to, to look through those numbers. But as, as before we move on from this one, as far as the ladder is concerned, I mentioned how critical it was for the Suns. And that's because, like I said, they're probably, by the end of tonight, going to be eight points to, or two games out of the eight behind Collingwood, uh, plus 16%, plus they've got Richmond up next. So uh, you know, it's just brutal for the Suns. I mean, they've been so close this year oh, yeah. uh, to, to really breaking through. But, um, yeah, I, I think overall a, a positive season for them so far. But for Essendon, this is also a blow for them because, yes, they have that game in hand. It's going to come against Melbourne. They do have the two-point advantage over the Ds now, but their percentage of 90 is going to be is going to hurt them. And you might say, well, percentage might not matter, but it might if it comes down to Collingwood yeah. because now... Uh, they're level with the Collingwood and Richmond that have had the draw as well, and they're they're nearly thirty percent behind those two teams. So, they're costly loss for the Bombers as well, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's uh, absolutely it's uh, costly because that percent we talked about that percentage yesterday, how bad it was, and now it does put them right in that mix with Collingwood, and you, know, you could be completely out of the eight. And also that um, yeah, Essendon's got to be kicking themselves with the way that Gold Coast you know, just transitioned the ball late in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like that, that's that sort of thing just should never happen, let alone with you know, two minutes left in a, in a game where you're up by a point, I think, at the time. All right, so we can move on to some of the news around the league now. And uh, basically, staying with Essendon, Joe Danaher again. I mean, this is the never ending story with Joe uh, potentially playing a practice match this weekend uh, or, or in the next couple of weeks. No doubt, this is a last ditch effort from the Bombers to get him up for this season. I don't know. I think the expectation is that he's still probably going to play elsewhere next year. Is that is that what we're feeling? Is that the That's is that seem, where everyone? Yeah, it seems to be what it is. It just it just continually is floating around, and you can't put stock in you know, individual trade rumors all the time. But there's just constantly stuff happening with this guy over what two years now. So Essendon's not going to win a flag this year. So my question would be if Joe Danaher is leaving. 
do you want to play him and and put him at risk of another injury and perhaps another long-term injury at this point in time? I'm not sure. I mean, that has to be what they're weighing up. I'm sure if he's healthy, he's going to want to play. And the Bombers will just say, listen, we, we, we need to make the eight. We want to get you out there. Um, but it's an interesting conversation to have because, again, uh, you know, I, I don't know where my stock would be in Joe Danaher right now. We're going to talk about the Swans a little bit later on here in the, in the show. But for mine, I mean, if you're... Uh, acquiring Joe Danaher, you can't have any confidence that this is going to be a guy that's actually going to play. Well, I think that's the thing. You say, well, Essendon doesn't want to risk him out there and another injury and they can't trade him. But well, what the hell is his value at the moment? What team's going to go? This dude can't play. He hasn't played in two years, three years, however long it is. Like It's been a long time. He hasn't played. Why would I give you anything for it? So I'd almost be inclined to, if he is ready, he's playing this scratch match, get him out there and go, oh, no, he can, he can actually still play and then and then move on. Because what, if you're holding him out again, all that says to other clubs is that he just he can't play. Like he just, he can't do it. Um, and you have, or you have no confidence in him being able to. If you say to clubs, they, they come to you and go, oh, Joe, we want Joe Danaher. Why didn't you play him? Oh, we were scared he might get injured. <laughs> yeah, cool. We, thanks. We don't want him. Because like, that's, that, that's what that vibe gives off. off. So how do you... What do you actually get out of that? You get, you get nothing in terms of maximizing. And there is a risk that he gets injured anyway. But I think you're almost at that same level of not playing him because you're scared of being injured that teams would have the same approach to it. If he actually played and got injured or if he didn't play for fear of it, I think teams would view that the same way. Joe Danaher in full flight, though, on this Essendon team. It would be a nice little side. I reckon it might give them a pretty good chance of making the finals. We'll see. But as far as St Kilda go... Pretty significant blow for them. Jay Gresham out for virtually the season with back stress fractures or back stress reaction. Uh, the Saints now, they're probably one of those teams that I have that can't afford to have too many injuries because we, we know that they've just come in to the mix this year and they've been fantastic. We spoke about them a lot earlier in the week and, and what to make of their game with Geelong on Monday night. But Gresham, if he's out for the season, he joins Hanabry, who's basically out for the season. Seb Ross obviously has had some calf issues. He's been in and out of the team. And Luke Dunstan is still yeah maybe not going to come back this season either with a, with a pec injury. Uh, and, and you can add some other guys. Uh, Jimmy Webster's there as well. So uh, the Saints, that's a significant chunk of their midfield. Uh, Zach Jones is another player that's been in and out of the team and had a little bit of an injury history. The Saints, this is a huge blow for them, and they are, for mine, a team that can't afford to have too many more injuries. Yeah, it, it is huge. And we've talked about the strength of their midfield throughout the season already, and Gresham's been one of those guys. So, uh, yeah, look, that is yeah, a blow to have him out for as long as it's going to be, and it is going to be yeah, most of this season now. Um, yeah, it's, it's a real problem, and they were you know, failed that test against Geelong. Now this backs up on it, and that's going to put real pressure on them to be a top four team. I don't really think they're going to be in danger of, of falling out of the eight, but a big loss, uh, an exposed loss maybe, and then an injury to a, to a key player. Uh, it's not, not, a great, not a great couple of days for St. Kilda. They'll get a bit of an advantage here this week because they'll play Essendon on Sunday. So they'll have a six-day break. Essendon will be coming off a four-day break. So they've got a little bit of an advantage there. But when you talk about top eight ramifications, if they lose that game to St. Kilda, uh, sorry, if they lose that game to Essendon, they're only two points ahead of the Bombers. So a huge game, huge game this weekend for St. Kilda. If they lose this, they could start to get a little bit wobbly. And this is for a team that uh, has been fantastic and also left some points on the board in a couple of close games that they probably should have won. We haven't actually spoke about COVID this week at all, which has been nice. It's been nice to get away from that. But Nathan Buckley, it was kind of interesting. I mean, we know 
the incident that he had last week or the week before. But uh, Nelly, apparently Nelly got fined $75,000 for fist bumping a fan uh, in Adelaide. Now, I must admit, I saw the coaches going down to the ground in Adelaide Oval and I thought about this last week and I was a little bit shocked at how close the fans could get to the coaches. Now, I, I know that you can't, there's not much you can do about the setup of the coaches' boxes and how the players get down there. But given all the strict protocols, it was just shocking to me. I was kind of laughing at home at how close the fans could get. And I was wondering why they wouldn't do something to, I guess, separate the fans a little bit more to make sure this doesn't happen. Now, uh, Buckley, it looked, I don't know the full story. It looked like he, he knew this guy. They did say he was an acquaintance. I don't yeah, know what no, I, that I, means. I know the, I know the story. Apparently, um, is what Buckley said yesterday, maybe, that it was a guy that he'd met years ago. Yeah. And the guy had said he that he was in a bar and... Yeah, the people in the bar were shit talking Buckley, and this guy said, "Nah, yeah, he's he's a good player. He's uh, you know, we stood up for him. They're all drunk, I'm sure." The guy got the shit kicked out of him uh, for standing up for Buckley. Lost his uh, sense of taste and smell after that attack, and then somehow they became acquainted that way. So yeah, Buckley said, "Well, I saw him in the crowd and went up to acknowledge him." He goes, "I don't remember his name." Went up to acknowledge him because. Yeah, he he suffered these injuries. Yeah, you know, trying to defend defend my name uh, in a barroom brawl at at some point. So that was the story that Buckley came out with with it yesterday. Right. So the but the point so the point of all this is that I I don't blame Buckley. That was you know regardless of whatever that story yeah. is, I, I think that it, it's kind of uh, you know it would have been pretty brutal if he got a seventy five thousand dollar fine oh, yeah. for that. It would have been unbelievable. I mean, at least he wasn't going out and smashing forehands and backhands and, and bringing out the serve and volley game uh, out on the tennis court with Alicia Mollick. This was, this was, yeah, I mean, we're all humans. If you see someone, as you sort of pointed to with that background story, you're going to say, uh, hello. So, uh, yeah, just a strange one, just a strange one. I don't know why fans are allowed to get that close. It seems to be asking for trouble. Yeah, there's no reason for them to be able to get that close, regardless of what the reason is for interaction or whatever it is. It's just don't, don't allow it to get there in the first place. Swans and Giants tonight... I, I was actually thrown off by this. I don't know why. I mean, you would think that we would we would all understand this by now, but uh, I, for some reason in my head, I I was shocked when I saw that this game is at Optus Stadium. But the Sydney, what do they even call it? Sydney Derby, or I, I don't know what they call this game. I yeah, can't remember. I don't. I, I actually don't know. Is, is it Sydney Derby? Maybe. I think no, it no, is. Har- Harbour Clash, something like that. Anyway, oh, okay. they're playing over at Optus Stadium. What are you looking for in this one? I mean, we spend a lot of time on the show talking about the Giants. This is, I mean, clearly it's a must-win for them. But, but what exactly are, are you looking for this game? Whether it's for Sydney or the Giants? Well, the Giants, they, they, they obviously need the win. We know that they're sort of hanging on at the back end of the eight at the moment. A, a win here can, yeah, really elevate them. Can push them up on the, on the brink of the top four realistically, because it puts them at eleven games and seven wins, which puts them sort of right behind West Coast. A good opportunity for a percentage booster as well because they are you know, by far the lowest percentage of the current top eight teams. So this is big for them not because they need to get the win, but they need to do it convincingly. They need to push themselves up um, and make make start to make some noise here. And we talked yesterday about how they had started to turn things around in that second half against Essendon. Things looked a little bit better and they clearly have the talent advantage here in this game. Uh, they do lose Phil Davis though. They bring in Jacobs and Mumford goes out while for uh, Sydney Blakey returns, but they, they lose Aaliyah and Elijah Taylor's gone from Sydney as well. So looking at the teams, uh, GWS has that clear advantage. So they need to really put their, their foot down and they need to start you know, just 
overwhelming teams, and that's something that they have struggled to do all season. Yeah, this is going to be a challenge for the Giants to score. We've seen at times teams struggle to score against Sydney. You think oh, about Richmond, yep. you think about Collingwood. I think they're going to play a defensive style of footy. There's no doubt about that. And you talk about the the experience they have out of the team. So with Heaney, Franklin, and Kennedy, uh, the Swans have 650 games of experience uh, out of the side. Now, if you look at the team numbers this year, Sydney ranked 14th for inside 50s, 15th for disposals, 13th for clearances, and 16th for goals. Uh, Adelaide is the only team that's kicked fewer goals than them, and they're tied with on, on 76 goals for the season with Frio. So... I just quickly wanted to run through a, a couple of players for Sydney, so bear with me here because when we look at the ladder and teams that are rebuilding, and we spent some team talking about, uh, spent some time talking about Fremantle, we really think they're on the right track. If I think about the bottom four or five teams in the league right now, I, I'm thinking of Adelaide and North Melbourne. We don't really know where they're at right now. Hawthorne is looking like probably that other team, and I think they've acknowledged they're going to bring in a bunch of young guys from here on out. Then it's probably Frio and Sydney. Now Frio and Sydney are the two teams for mine that are on the right path, regardless. Of, of what you're seeing wins and losses this year. They're both playing defensive because I think they have to a little bit. But listen to some of these names for the Swans. Ollie Florent, he's 22. Callum Mills is 23. Will Haywood, 21. George Hewitt, 24. Tom McCartan, 20. Uh, Rowbottom is 19. Jordan Dawson, 23. Nick Blakey is 20. And these are guys that are playing every single week. These are guys that are getting games under their belt. They're moving up into the 50 to 100 game bracket, which really in the next year or two is when you start to see serious improvement from those guys. And then you look at the guys that are in their prime with Heaney at 24. Parker's still only 27. Papley, they need to try and keep him, but he's 24. Lloyd is 26. And then Harry Cunningham, the other one that plays uh, very regularly, is only 26 as well. So uh, if you talk about age bracket. The Swans are in a really, really nice place. I would love to see them you know, trying to attract maybe that one more key position player. And that's why Danaher is such an interesting proposition for them. I, I, you would have to imagine that that's why they're so tempted. But, geez, I mean, this is a team that, uh, you know, age profile-wise and the gains they're getting into these guys, they're probably going to be responding pretty damn quickly. It does appear that way because you look at their guy. Like, yeah, Rampy's just turned 30. And was he the oldest right. player here? Like, outside of, you know, uh, Josh Kennedy, who I think is maybe a little bit older than that. In terms of, and even losing, say, Aaliyah, like, what's he, 23, 24, maybe? Maybe not even that old. Like yeah, they, yeah, 25, yeah. So they're, you know, they are a, a super young team and getting a lot of experience. And maybe it only takes a year or two or getting just one or two players in to start to to really turn this around. And the, they are approaching it the right way. They're getting not only, you know, games into these guys, but impact games like putting Mills in the middle, a robot running through the guts, you know, majority of the game. You have Florent pushing up from a, a forward pocket into more of a midfield type role to get them exposure into those areas as well. So I think while the injuries are oh, Buddy's the other guy of course who's older, but yeah, you know, injuries to Buddy and, and Kennedy and those those older type players, it's not great for the wins this year. But it's massively important for how they how quickly they can transition and rebounce back. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do with Franklin. I know clearly still got a few years left on that deal. But, you know, it's it's an interesting one. I, I, I'm sure that they would have loved to have him in the team this year. There's no doubt about that. We all would have loved to see Buddy play. But, again, I'm not sure whether it's the worst thing for this team to play some footy without Kennedy and without Franklin. I still think Kennedy's got a, a couple of years left in him as well. So these guys are going to be around, and, and they'll, they'll benefit from having that experience. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, at times this year, maybe it's been good for them, particularly in this strange year, to just say, all right, well, we're playing all kids. Let's see, let's see what we've got here. Let's roll through. 
And again, I mean, the names are just they're, they're super impressive when you when you uh, put it all down on paper and look at the age brackets. The Swans, we haven't spoke about them a lot. We've just said that they're competitive, which they are every week. Uh, that's no surprise with a, a John Longmire coach team. But yeah, just watch out for them because along with Frio, they're the two teams that are down the bottom for mine that are the looks, you know, just secretly, quietly looking pretty impressive. Yeah, because it's teams again when you watch them play, they lose, but you don't go. Oh, that's you know, what's the positive to, to take out of it? Because even though they are, you know, they they stack the back line and they play it defensively, it is to try and minimize you know, blowouts, but it's also to to enable these guys to get that opportunity to, to then you know, push forward again and in, in little spurts because they can't maintain it for a full you know, eighty minutes, however long games are going for these days. And I think they've been really uh, really solid for majority. They've only won three games, but they've been solid. But getting these games and these minutes here. But I don't really think they're going to be able to battle GWS, but it is going to be interesting to see with that game, with their strong defense, with the way they push back and try and suck up that space. And we know that GWS at times has gone so slow and doesn't try and push it in. Is it just going to be a game that's sort of stuck in the middle of the ground? <laughs> it could be because I mentioned Sydney 14th for inside 50s. GWS are behind them. Yeah. So, uh, so when you're talking about where the game's going to be played, it might be between the arcs. But uh, as we mentioned yesterday, GWS 47 inside 50s last week against Essendon. So they are you know trending in the right direction. But uh, the one thing you'll say against Sydney, don't move the ball slow because if you do, you're going to struggle uh, to find those targets inside 50. So uh, I don't know. Fascinating. I don't know how this one's going to play out. They're also they've played uh, these games from time to time at uh, the SCG. The, the wide open expanses of Optus Stadium might open this one up a little bit. It's a little more difficult to defend. Yeah, and I think that that probably goes against Sydney there because they, they know their ground. They know how to how to squish things up and uh, hopefully for GWS's sake that their talent can, uh, can not only just get the win but make it uh, an exciting game or, or, or a good quality game and they need to get that percentage uh, boosted right up there but it is it is one there where we're looking at a team in their prime and it versus a, a team that is rebuilding so a, a contrast in styles in that way as well start around 12 tonight there's a bunch of real interesting games that we're going to be able to look at tomorrow as we wrap up the week the cats and the power obviously game of the year this is the yes, game of the year Josh. That, that is an absolute contender but plenty of other fascinating games as well I already mentioned Richmond and the Gold Coast has won. Melbourne and Collingwood, huge implications for that game. So St. Kilda uh, Essendon's a big one too, I reckon. St. Kilda, yep, St. Kilda Essendon, no doubt about it. And your, your mob, let's see if they can fend off the Crows. But yeah. uh, it just doesn't stop. It does not stop. Exactly. Footy is consistent. Looks like we're going to get all the rest of the season condensed in like this as well. Kane, I reckon that'll do us for another episode of Locked On AFL. Thank you once again for another great show. Of course. What else would I be doing? Guys, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. And if you could leave us a five-star review, that would be fantastic. And I'll leave you today with a shout-out to Brett Hetty.